You know, the listeners don't know this, so I'm going to let them know. Let them know. Even though this is like the third or fourth episode that they've heard in season four, this is actually our first time together for several months. It is. So how was the break for you guys? Since August, was it? Um, well, nothing really eventful happened in my life. My wife started working again. I guess that was kind of eventful. Marky? you, Marky. You had some good news. I got engaged. Woo! Come on, where's the clap back? There you go. Yep. It was in October. Pop the question. Marky is betrothed. Betrothed Marky. It's got a good ring to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, and yeah. Alyssa's got a good ring to her, too. Oh, that's right. From oh, Mark. no pun intended. <laughs> that, that took you a second, didn't it? <laughs> yes. And I had a baby. Woo! So you had a baby? Just me alone. I produced, manufactured. First man to have a baby. Yeah. No, my wife and I had a baby. And uh, it's been a good break for Dinger Nation because they miss us. Mm. It's been a good break because they miss us. Yeah, yeah that sure. makes that well. It's <laughs> it's been a good break because they had an opportunity to catch up. Yeah, and a lot of the people that I spoke to actually did. Yeah, they listened to every single last episode. All right, so we got to give them the new stuff. Yeah, this and the new it. stuff. You know how we start every show. Oh, how do we start it, Ryan? Were you trying to figure out if you're going to say Mark or Ryan? Yeah. Just there. <laughs> how do we start it, Mark? Ryan? Um, I know. I'll tell you. Okay. Bible dingers. That's how we started. <laughs> Every episode. Every episode, I got to mess Breaking up the, uh, the sound bar. Sound bar. You heard me? I thought you said sound bud. <laughs> Bible dingers. You guys ready for this? Yep. Mm-hmm. I said, Are you ready for this? Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. Well, let me know when you're ready for this. I'm ready. I haven't said that in months, and it feels good. It feels so right. It does. Are you ready for this? I'm not. I'm not <laughs> Where the heck did it go? Hold on. <laughs> the Pentagon releases official UFO videos. Oh, fake news or real news? Real news. Real news. Hey. Oh, that, that didn't get too far. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so, did you guys hear about this? Yeah. Oh, I no. didn't. I didn't hear about well, it. Well, just now I did. Yeah. <laughs> really? You really thought that was real news? Yeah. yeah. Right off the bat. Yeah. yeah. The Pentagon? Yeah. Why would you think that's real news? Well, because there's lots of UFOs, not just aliens. Oh, I see what uh, you... Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not what their intent was. Yeah. The Pentagon released three short videos in late April showing unidentified aerial phenomena or possible UFOs that were previously released by a private company. The video shows UFOs rapidly moving while being recorded by infrared cameras. And there was a CNN report, and the videos were released, and you guys did not watch them, apparently. No. But these videos are interesting, to say the least. Did you watch them? I did. They look weird. they look like aliens? First of all, every single thing that's flying in the sky has to be documented and 
everything. So Correct. They, they know what's there. They had no clue what was there. So that makes it interesting. Not that I believe in aliens or UFOs in that regard, but there was still something weird. Yeah. Confirmed flying in the sky and they didn't know what it was. Where? Does it say? Pesky Russians. That's what it is. The Spetsnaz. Jacksonville Coast. Oh, Florida. <laughs> Florida man. Friggin' Florida. Maybe he was a senior citizen trying to fly a drone or something. A senior citizen? Why would it be a senior citizen? Because it's in Florida. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. I got I one see. more for you. Oh, okay, okay. I love bread. <laughs> How many of you guys like bread? Oh, uh, I like rye bread the most. Of course. Because your name is Ryan? Yeah. That would have to fit. That is the sole reason why I like mm-hmm. rye bread the most. Yeah. What about you? I have to eat gluten-free bread. Uh, do you guys eat Subway at all? You know what? I did like a week ago for the really? first time in years, and I was so sick afterwards. For real? I was sick, yeah, for like an entire morning. I do like Subway, though. I yeah. think it's pretty solid. What about you? Uh, it's a fast food deli. Yeah. It's, it went in solid, but it didn't come out uh, solid. Mm, yeah, you know what I mean? That's really good information <laughs> that I needed. But for me, you know what I do? I love I <laughs> I love bread. Well, this news report says Subway bread isn't actually bread. Fake news or real news? Real news. Real news. I mean, I don't even know why I try. <laughs> I really that's not that shocking. Yeah. It is shocking. It's bread, bro. No, no, it's not bread. <laughs> it's bread. <laughs> well no. Well, I promise I'm gonna stump you. I I am O for one for season four. But can we get a little get a load of this real quick? Well, first I just want to clarify that you're over to you. But go ahead. Well, this is the first episode, so okay. all right. <laughs> I mean, some not so good news for Subway fans came out this year after Subway Ireland's Ireland Subway Supreme <laughs> Court Supreme Court ruled that bread sold by Subway restaurants isn't actually bread. Or at least it doesn't match up with the legal definition of bread. So officials said that due to how much sugar is in the bread, it illegally cannot be bread. The ruling was brought on by an Irish Subway franchisee who argued that some of its products were not liable for value at a tax. So they get a tax break for having premium food in Ireland. Mm. So the guy was trying to fight for that because he wasn't getting the tax break that he needed. Yeah. Mm. And then the Supreme Court ruling was, no, you don't get that because you don't sell bread. Uh. Because they, their bread actually has more sugar than flour. Interesting. Can you believe that? Yeah. They said that in Ireland, huh? In Ireland. In Ireland. Ireland. In Ireland. Ireland. They're after me bread. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That song slaps, bro. Slaps? Slaps. It's Andy Mino. Hey, hey. This I forgot it. to do that. This is it, man. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Well, in case it's the first time listening, I'm Nick. 
I'm here with Ryan and Mark, hey. and we so. are Bible Dingers. And for every episode that we do, we start every episode with fake news or real news, where we try to break the ice with something funny. And I try to stump these guys, which I failed at miserably this episode. Mm. And then we dive into the topic. This topic for this episode is the intro to the New Testament. That's it, man. It's a big one. We made it. We made it. From the old to the new. We've put away the old, and we've gone forward to the new. I would say we started from the bottom, now we're here, but, you know, the Old Testament's not the bottom. No. Well, it is in the fact that it's like the bedrock, the, you know? like It's the, actually the top of the, the foundation. Book, it's the top of the book. That's true. Well, it depends on how you put it on the table, I guess. <laughs> well, if you put your Bibles upside down on the table, we started then from the bottom, the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Towards like the top three quarters. Yeah. No, if, <laughs> exactly. If you put it normal on a table. Yeah. It's on the top. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless you're Jewish and you start from the back of the book. I see what That's you mean. That's true. Or Japanese. I see what you mean. Japanese do that too? Right. Oh, no. Well, they start from the front of the book. They just read from right to left, right? And then... And then right to I'm the not left. sure. Yeah. I never read in Japanese, but I do know how to count the ten in Japanese. Well, yeah, they do. They, the page turns to the left. It does. So you start from the back. Well, it's not the back to them. Right, but it's to us. it's our back. Yeah. Do you think they say that? Do you want to start the book from their back? <laughs> <laughs> they definitely say that. Yep. Yeah. Do you know what the number one is in Japanese? One. No, that's Spanish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Itchy. Itchy? I swear. All right. So it's itchy, ni, san, chi. That's, those Nissan? are the numbers. Itchy, ni, san, chi, go, Nissan. roku, sechi, hachi, roku. ku, ju is number 10. Ju. I know a lot of those words. Yeah. So ju, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but from what I used to do, you know, martial arts when I was 10 years old, I remember. Mm. But I was thinking about, you know... Jewish, and then I realized we're done with the Old Testament. <laughs> we're done with when Jews. you were a kid. <laughs> yeah. That's where this all happened. Yeah, this you know, and I, I knew I. It was like a foreshadow. You knew like type and shadow yeah. of what was to come. Like you know what the Old Testament does for this. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. New Testament here. I understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. It points forward. Yeah, he understands. Yeah, what I'm saying here. Yeah, you get where I'm going. Yes, I do. Where am I going? To the New Testament. (laughs) Yeah. And here we are at the New Testament. So basically, this is going to give you an introduction to the New Testament, this episode. And we're going to try to give you some basics and give you the history supporting this New Testament. What are we reading? How many books there are? Uh, Why is it important? Things like that. How do we apply it to our lives? But yeah, there's going to be a lot of historical context. So if you like history, you're going to like this one. If you don't like history, then you're going to have to still love it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the Bible. You better love this thing. Yeah. Anyway, in the New Testament, uh, there are 27 books. In case you didn't know that, um, there are several songs that I've learned as a kid to memorize the books. You know some of the songs or no? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. What about you, Mark? You know what I mean? (laughs) That doesn't sound like the one I learned. <laughs> I just made it up. I don't think there's a melody no, line. There is. <laughs> I learned one with the melody. No, I know. I know the melody line. Yeah, me too. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I'm pretty sure it's the same melody Samuel. line that he made up. <laughs> anyway, 27 <laughs> books. Uh, nine or ten authors. 
depending on whether or not the writer of Hebrews wrote another book in which we know the author for. Mm. So it's either one or the other, nine or ten. It doesn't change anything, but it's interesting to know. And then it was written within a time span of about 40 years. Do you know how long it took to write the OT, though? A thousand? Yep. <laughs> I just took a yep. guess. Mark cannot be stumped today. <laughs> he can't be stumped. A thousand year reign. In o- no, I'm just kidding. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't written in a thousand years, but it was written over the course of a thousand years, just to clarify. So it starts with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then it moves into Acts, and those books are the historical narrative books of the New Testament. So what that means is that they give you the background history for the rest of the New Testament. And after that comes the epistles. And what that word means is that there are letters, and those are letters from the apostles. These start with the 13 epistles from Paul, and those letters aren't in chronological order, but they're actually arranged from largest to smallest in length. Mm. So, you know, when you're reading, it's not necessarily in the order of the things that happened, but they were organized in a way that's from largest to smallest. I think 1 Corinthians was the first one, hmm. I think. Uh, for Christmas, Alyssa bought me a chronological Bible. Oh, yeah? That's pretty mm. cool. Yeah, that is cool. So what, Job is the first book? Second, after Genesis. That's where I am. Oh, now. I see. So it like, it's not necessarily when it was written, but when it takes place, I guess? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. So the first... I think the first seven chapters of Job is supposed to go first, isn't it? Yeah. It's, but it doesn't it's, take place before the creation. It's the of date the of the events. Yeah, the date of the events, not the uh, writing. Oh, I gotcha. It's very interesting. I gotcha. But then comes Hebrews after uh, Acts. And we're not sure who actually wrote it, but there are some theories. So we have Luke. For Hebrews or Acts? Hebrews. For Hebrews. Yeah. So we have Luke, Apollos, and Paul that are some possible authors and then we have you know the ones that everybody likes to hear you know like shakespeare could have wrote it mm, greg daniels yeah greg daniels kanye yeah, yeah kanye. kanye daniel's son uh, yeah yeah maybe. art exerces might have wrote it maybe yeah no no no. so the, no the the uh the possible choices are luke apollos or paul um but doesn't matter who wrote it because it doesn't change a thing it's scripture it doesn't matter Lastly, we have the letters from James, Jude, and then first and second Peter, and first, second, third John. After the epistles, we have the last section, which is the book of Revelation, everyone's favorite it's not book of the Bible. Not Revelation. Revelation. That's right. Revelation. It is the apocalyptic section, which contains many prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, but also has epistle like elements. So there are parts of it that were written to churches of that time. Yeah, there's the seven churches part of Revelation that's written to like the Church of Philadelphia, Church of Smyrna, Laodicea, all those. And those were actually written to churches. Got you. So I I should have started by saying how many points there are in this outline. That first point was New Testament basics. Now we're moving on to context. So the other points are the synoptic problems of the gospel, and then how to read and apply the New Testament. Mm. So there are four overall points of this outline. But the next we bounce into the context. So this happened during the intertestamental period through the end of the writing. 
What does that mean, right? That's a big word. So basically, during this time, Israel and the world went through many changes between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Oh, this is the intertestamental period. That's the word, I suppose. About 400 years. Yes. Yes. So the intertestamental period spanned about 400 years, with the probable last event of the Old Testament being in chapter 13 of Nehemiah, verse 4 through 30. And that was during the reign of Artaxerxes in Babylon around 425 B.C. And the first event of the New Testament being probably uh, the chapter, chapter 1 of Luke, and then we see in verses 5 through 25, that that was during the time of Herod, king of Judea, around 6 or 4 B.C., so then we have the time between that followed the pattern of what Daniel had prophesied. It's all laid out in Daniel chapter 2, verses 39 and 40, and then in chapter 7, 5 through 7. And that was that the control of the land went from Babylon to Medo-Persia, then to Greece, and finally to Rome. So we have to discuss those empires to tell you what they are. Yeah, just so you guys kind of get the context of what's going on, because it seems like between the Old and New Testament, there's a lot of stuff that changes you know you're living in one world sort of in the old testament and things look a certain way and then you get to jesus and things look completely different it's because there's 400 years of time in there a lot of things happen you know just think that america hasn't even really been a country for more than what 200 something years more than 250 yeah like 250 years so there's a good 400 years between the old and new testament so a lot happened in the world um like nick said and it all happened according to Daniel's prophecies about the the empires that were going to come uh, following what he prophesied. And the first one was the Medo-Persian Empire. And basically, the Persian Empire controlled Israel for about 200 years, and this was from around 539 to 322 B.C. And in general, they allowed the Jewish people to return to their land rebuild and worship however they wanted without any government interference or anything, which was kind of new because you, if you remember towards the end of the old Testament, they went into exile. The Northern kingdom went off to Assyria and the Southern kingdom went off to Babylon and they were oppressed and in exile. So the Medo Persian empire came in and they kind of freed the Jewish people. Essentially they let them go back to Israel. They let them do their thing. And that's in, you can read about that in Nehemiah and Ezra and things like that. Um, but basically, they were ruled by the governor of Syria, and the high priest was really in charge of controlling civil authority in Israel. But then, following the Medo-Persian Empire came the Greek Empire. And basically, what happened was Alexander the Great took about three years to defeat Darius III, and his Medo-Persian Empire. And this happened between 334 and 331 BC. And in one of the major battles in 332 BC, Israel was passed off into Greece's control. And Alexander the Great was generally good to the Jewish people during this time. Uh, he allowed them to continue their religious freedom. And he actually even gave them certain tax exemptions that they didn't have to pay to the Greek Empire. But he did attempt to Hellenize the culture and Hellenization was this thing that the Greek empire did was basically to make all of the areas they conquered think like they did mm -hmm. act like they did. 
And that's why Greek really took over in that time period. Everybody started speaking Greek. Everybody had started using Greek philosophy and reasoning. And that's really what's kind of lasted to this day. Um, the Greek school of thought is what we use. And it was really superimposed during this time. So he did that to all the regions he conquered. And he tried to make all the cultures, cultures resemble the Greek culture. Um, after Alexander died, there was a lot of struggle between his generals and the empire was divided. And so leadership over Israel changed hands many times for a couple hundred years because of that. But towards the end, the Jewish people had all their re religious freedoms taken away, actually. Um, then in 167 BC, Antiochus, who was the current leader of the area, ordered a complete Hellenization of the area. Uh, so that meant that copies of the Torah were burned. The Jewish people weren't allowed to follow the Sabbath or any other religious rituals. They weren't allowed to sacrifice. They were forced to eat pigs um, and so on and so forth. Basically, he was trying to destroy the Jewish culture, the Jewish religion, I guess you could say, and anything that was Jewish. And he was trying to Hellenize them uh, to a, in a severe way, I guess. He was, he was really trying to break any religious independence from his world, anything that he was in charge of. So because of that persecution, a Jewish revolt began under an old priest named Mattathias and his five sons. His oldest son, Judas Maccabeus, is where the name for the Maccabean revolt comes from. And this revolt turned into a 24-year war between the Jewish people and the local Greek oppressors. And if you've heard that before... It's because there are a couple books, First and Second Maccabees, mm -hmm. that aren't in your Bible. Uh, they're not canonical books, um, but they're out there. I believe they're in the Catholic Bible. Um, Doesn't that tell the story of Hanukkah? Also, it could. I'm not really sure, honestly. I think it does. I... Yes, yes, it does. So after the Greek Empire came the Roman Empire, and now it's starting to seem more familiar. And the Roman Empire was growing, and they began pressuring the Greek influence over this area. And that ended up causing that Jewish revolt, the Maccabean Revolt, to win the 24-year-long war. So the descendants of Mattathias, if you remember, who was the high priest who really struck up this revolt, they took over as rulers in this area, and they were called the Hasmonians. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And this lasted from about 142 to 63 B.C., and then in 63 BC, Pompey, who was a Roman general, came through and he took over. And this caused Israel to now pass into control of the Roman Empire. And so Rome had helped them out in the beginning, and they kind of allowed them to govern themselves. And then when Pompey came through, he really took over. And there was growing unrest in the area over the years, whenever Rome was really in charge. So around 37 BC, about 30 years later... Herod the Great was put in charge of the area, and he was named King of the Jews, but Rome was still in control. He reported to Rome. Um, he, he was basically a Roman employee, but he was a Jewish person that was put in charge of the Jewish people, and that kind of helped some of the unrest die down for the Roman Empire. And that is actually the historical context of when Jesus was born. We got the Roman Empire, Herod the Great so on and so forth. Cool. Yeah, and there were some other changes, too, during this time period. Diaspora. Am I saying that right? Diaspora. Diaspora, meaning dispersed. So during this time, the Jewish people really started spreading out. 
So they were no longer centrally located in Israel, and they moved throughout all of the known world. In fact, towards the end of the intertestamental period, there were more Jewish people living outside of Israel's land than were living inside. That's, so that's pretty, pretty interesting. interesting. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, Jinx. I heard that about uh, Puerto Ricans in New York. I heard there's more Puerto Ricans in New York than there is in Puerto Rico. Noricans? No, Puerto Rican. Oh, Noricans. Yeah, I Noricans. see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I could see that. Yeah. But most of them wind up moving back anyway. Yeah. Most of my family all moved back. Yeah? When they retired, yeah. Are you willing to make that blanket statement and say most of them end up moving back? They Or they want to. Oh, okay. They definitely want to. Yeah. I, well, I would want to move to Puerto Rico. What, what keeps them coming here is the economy and jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. Once they retire, they miss everything else in mm. Puerto Rico. The way it looks, the food, the atmosphere, the, the culture. Oh, I want the food. The temperature. Mm. Everything. Everything about Puerto Rico would be better. Yeah. Except for the economy. I do love tostones. Yeah. The beach. Have you been at the beach in Puerto Rico? I can't say I've ever been to Puerto Rico. Dude, it depends on the beach, but when you stick your feet in the water, you could see at the bottom. Yeah. They got beautiful beaches. Anyway, other things changed during that time as well, not just the Puerto Ricans. Speaking <laughs> you know of I mean? uh, beaches and Puerto Ricans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the scribes and rabbis definitely did not go to Puerto Rico, mm. but they did have in some the changes during this Book time. Book of Mormon they did. Oh, that's true. Mm. That's no surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Jewish people believe that the exile had occurred because of a lack of the knowledge of God's word. Because of this, they instated scribes and rabbis. And this was during the intertestamental period. Scribes were men that became experts and the authority on what scriptures say. Rabbis were the teachers of the scripture. Some other changes happened, too. We say this word all throughout last season, Septuagint. I think we said it multiple times in seasons one through three. Mm-hmm. It's a big one, yep. So it's our important. listeners should definitely know what it is. Uh, but just in case, um, there were, th- this was the Greek the Greek manuscript of the New Testament, correct? The Old Testament. The Old, Old, Testament, Old Testament, rather. is the Greek manuscript of the Old Testament. Um, because of the Hellenization, and Ryan already discussed what that is, making things more Greek in a nutshell, that forced the Greek language on the entire Greek empire, Greek became the predominant language of the Jewish people. We don't know for sure, but according to Jewish legend, the Septuagint was written in 72 days, around 250 BC, by 72 scholars. That's what we think we know. But we do know why it's called Septuagint, which because it's the Latin word for 70. So this became the most widely used version of the Old Testament as Greek was now the predominant language of the Jews. Mm. Then we have the Pharisees. We studied those a lot in this society. And these were people who separated themselves from the Hellenistic culture and remained distinctively Jewish. Separated is the possible origin of the word Pharisee. So these people interpreted the law as we know very strictly, and also added to it through oral tradition, which is the Talmud. The Talmud. Then we have the Sadducees. These were people who were much more Hellenistic in their worldview. They were sort of like a religious elite who became guardians of temple practices and policies. 
They also rejected any teaching besides the Torah. So this is basically the background and historical context leading up to the Gospels. Most of this was in place when Jesus was born and during his life. That's right. Yeah. So a lot of these things are new to the New Testament that you wouldn't have thought of before. There's there's Jewish people living all over the world at this point. Everybody's speaking Greek now. The New Testament is all written in Greek. Pharisees and Sadducees pop up. Scribes and rabbis pop up. And none of these were in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So. We figured it was important to let you know where that stuff came from, I guess. Definitely. Am I right? Absolutely. All right. So. I love bread. <laughs> Got to break it up a little, bro. Yeah, Man I appreciate that. Live on bread alone. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. Oprah. Oh. Bruh. It's the land of milk right. and honey, bro, not bread. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. So that was the intertestamental period. And now I'm going to go over the New Testament period real quick and cover the time period from when the Gospels were taking place until the time where Revelation was written. So I'm going to give you the you context. Say, you say real quick as if it's not a page and a half. It's Listen, it's going to be real quick page and a half. Though. Like as quickly as we can do a page and a half. Yeah. All right. So basically there was people and they lived and that's the context. There you go. Sweet. I told you. And this is how we apply the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So during the life of Jesus and into the Acts of the Apostles, the Israeli area was mostly under Herodian rule or Herodian. I always look to Mark to correct me. (laughs) Probably. Look at you. Herodian. So this was the rule of Herod the Great and his descendants. So you, you read about Herod a lot in the New Testament. And you think, oh, this guy is not a good guy. But then you find out there's lots of guys. There's lots of Herods. Yeah. Um, But it starts with Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was a paranoid man who was ruler when Jesus was born. He killed off almost 350 people in fears of losing his power. And that was before Jesus was even born. Uh, So it's obvious to see why he was on the hunt for the rumored baby who was to be the king of the Jews, because Herod the Great, in his mind and in Romans' eyes, was the king of the Jews. So before Jesus was born, he killed like 300 people. Yeah. And then yep. after Jesus was born, he killed all the countless, yeah, <laughs> two-year-olds. Right? Exactly. So, so yeah, he was insane. A, he was a bad mamma like jamma. Pharaoh in, the, in Exodus. Yep. Did you call him a mamma jamba? He's a bad mamma jamma, yeah. Okay. I got to write that down. Thanks. So, following Herod the Great's reign, which I don't think he was that great, but he's probably self-imposed uh, name His there. title. Yeah. <laughs> Herod the Bad. Yeah. Which was, and that was between 37 and 4 BC, by the way. So, after him came Herod Archelaus. That was between 4 BC and 6 AD. Uh, is that Achilles? A-R-C-H. Santa Claus is spelled C-L-A-U-S. So, this is actually... Archelaus. Okay, we're going to go with Herod Archelaus. <laughs> His reign was short. It was only about eight years or so. Eight to ten years. What's 4 BC to 6 AD? That's ten years. Anyways, his reign was short because people didn't really like him, and he ended up getting overthrown in 6 AD. So following Archelaus... <laughs> <laughs> You were right the first time. Was Herod Antipas. Antipas. I just want to say, for this exact reason, is why I gave you this, <laughs> this, this section of I the outline. I appreciate it. You're welcome. 
So Herod Antipas reigned from 6 AD to 37 AD. And he's mentioned the most in the Gospels because he was actually the ruler at the time. And this is the Herod that had John the Baptist's head cut off. Uh, It's the same one that said he wanted to kill Jesus in Luke 13. This is the Herod who Jesus was sent to by Pilate. And if you remember that Herod kind of washed his hands of the situation and sent him back to Pilate. He didn't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. That was in Luke 23. So he's the one that you really see a lot in the Gospels. And then following him was Herod Agrippa I. That was 37 AD to 44 AD. And he was Herod the Great's grandson. And in order to gain popularity with the Jewish people, he began to persecute the Christians because, as you know, Christians at this time are a very small minority. Um, And you can see, you can read about that in Acts 12, verses 1 through 19. So he is the one who killed James, the son of Zebedee. He jailed Peter, who later escaped. And, of course, because of that, Herod had his guards killed. And then in Acts 12, verses 20 through 23, it tells us that Herod Herod Agrippa, sorry, the first, was struck with the disease and died. So, mysterious circumstances. Mysterious, sure. He mysteriously got a disease. You know? Where'd it come from? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? It's a mystery. I know it's not here. <laughs> Where'd it come from, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> All right. So following Agrippa the first came. I, wish a- I knew the rest of the the lyrics of that song. I would have continued it going. But yeah. I think it's like yeehaw. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyways, following Agrippa the first came Herod Agrippa. <laughs> you think he had a grip on life? You know what. And if I had a joke to follow up with that, I would say it right here in this moment. His, his wife probably told him to get a grip. Sometimes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, you got to get a grip on this outline, dude. Yeah. Get a gripper. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Ryan's I don't antisub, before. I don't anticipate. Uh, anticipate. <laughs> Bro. All right. <laughs> let, let me get through this point. You think the Greeks were selling... Uh, what was sending their followers to to Hellenization, to hell in Isation, I inside of Isation, <laughs> inside of Zation. <laughs> you think they were going to hell inside of Zation? <laughs> <laughs> well, they weren't outside of Zation. That's for sure. That's true. That's true. All right, that was bad. So, following Agrippa the first came Herod Agrippa the second. And this started around 50 AD, and it lasted until 100 AD. Every time I say AD after a year, to me, it kind of sounds like 80, yeah. you know? But it's not 50 AD to 180. It's 50 oh, AD 80. to 100 AD. Got it. You know? So he didn't start immediately, though. He was actually only 17 when his dad died, so he took over a little farther down the road when he was a little bit older. And Herod Agrippa II was in charge all the way through the end of the New Testament writing. And he made a couple appearances when he had interactions with Paul. You can see that in Acts 25 and 26. So Rome kind of oversaw the Herodian leaders, as you know. And the Roman line of rule went like this. There was first Caesar Augustus, a very um, famous one. That was from 31 BC to 14 AD. After Caesar Augustus came Tiberius, that was 14 to 37 AD. 
Then came Caligula. That was 37 to 41 AD. Then Claudius, 41 to 54 AD. Then the bad, the bad Mamma Jamma Nero. That was 54 to 68 AD. Then Galba. Then Otho. Then Aulus Vitilius. Vespasian. Titus. And Domitian. These were all of the Caesars. These are all the Roman emperors. I'm so happy we don't have names like that anymore. Yeah. We sort of do. Well, to other countries, our names sound weird. Yeah, that's true. You think so? Yeah. yeah. Mark. What were they thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Otho. Can you believe that guy's name is Mark? Yeah. Vespian. Yeah. Fetch me my sword. <laughs> so Dom- Domitian, Domitian. He was the last Roman emperor to rule during the New Testament times, and John was sent to Patmos on his watch. If you know that story, John was sent to an island, and that's where he wrote Revelation, Patmos. So that was under the ruler Domitian. All right, so that is the historical context of the intertestamental period and the New Testament time. We wanted to make sure you guys knew what was going on in the world so things make a little bit more sense. Now we are going to get to the third main point of this outline, and that is going to be the synoptic problem of the Gospels. All right, so the synoptic problem of the Gospels. So when we talk about the synoptic Gospels, they're talking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because these three are very similar. The word synoptic comes from the Greek adjective synoptikos, which means to see with or together and also could mean yogurt. So there's a good amount of similarities between these three. <laughs> so you're not going to explain this joke at all. It's just because there's a lot of like Greek yogurt things that end in kos, you know? Synoptikos, Greek yogurt. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was a little it was kind of a stretch, I guess. I don't know why they're trying to hellenize our yogurt, bro. I don't know. I don't like it, but I do like regular yogurt more than Greek yogurt. I do point. like Greek yogurt though. It's great. You know what? It's too strong for me. Really? Yeah. You like the fake Dan and stuff? It's not fake. <laughs> Bro, that's fake yogurt, dude. It's really yogurt. It's the it's the Subway bread of yogurts. I'm pretty sure if they went to Ireland and sued to get a tax break on their yogurt, they would deem it not yogurt. <laughs> so there are a good amount of similarities between these three. However, there are a good amount of differences as well. The similarities and differences have brought about the question of the sources for the Gospels which then creates the quote-unquote synoptic problem, as we call it, which may not even be a problem. That's just, we call it the synoptic problem because that's the name for it. That's what people call it, the synoptic problem. So many conservative scholars do agree that the gospel writers likely used a wide variety of sources. For example, the genealogies in the beginning of both Matthew and Luke were from oral tradition or temple records. And in fact, Luke makes note that he uses many sources to record his Gospels. So this isn't groundbreaking. Uh, It's nothing that should shake your faith that there were sources used for the Gospels. It's something that you should probably... If there weren't sources, I would have something to worry about, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, kind of like how Jehovah's Witnesses should be wearing a little bit. Exactly. (laughs) Or the Book of Mormon. That one guy just like, yeah, this is just my thing. Okay, we're just kidding. There's no sources. I'm not kidding. Um, I love you, though. So this is not the source problem that many critical scholars attempt to point out, though. Critical scholars generally conclude that the Gospels come from editors who plagiarize another work in order to produce their own. 
Um, but there are a lot of theories that we're going to go over real quick. We're not going to go over all the theories, but we're going to go over four main theories. The first one is the Evangelium. Your Evangelium. Your Evangelium theory. You think it's... it's I think it's Gellium, yeah. The Your Evangelium theory. So... That has the word gospel in it. So this is the theory that there's an quote-unquote original gospel from which the gospel writers all copy their data from. So okay. not I'm not talking about Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but there's some other gospel, okay. quote-unquote, that, that these three copied from. Yeah. But there's a couple easy objections to this. First, a document like this has never been discovered and likely does not exist. If this document did exist, you would assume that the church would preserve it just as well as it would preserve the, the regular gospels that we have. <clears throat> also, this accounts for the similarities in the gospels, but it does not account for the differences. Uh, so those are a couple easy objections to that one. The second one is the oral tradition theory. And some believe that there were oral traditions floating around about Jesus, which people developed stories, and then it eventually got fixed into a single story and then eventually written down. So people are saying that the story of Jesus was kind of an oral tradition, but the obvious objection to this is similar to the last theory, that this accounts for similarities in the Gospels, but it doesn't account for any of the differences in the Gospels. Um, there's also the culture behind oral traditions that uh, modern people don't understand. Yeah. Like how robust it was. Right. You know, yeah, Especially in the Old Testament, at least. There is a bit of credence to the oral tradition theory, I would say, uh, because the stories had to have been known. And here's why. Because we know that 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels were written. You know, Paul's always talking about the Gospel. He builds theology upon the Gospel so there had to have been an oral tradition there before we have our official gospels. But that doesn't necessarily mean that this is where this is the source of the gospels because and we'll talk about it later because the people who wrote the gospels were eyewitnesses. So it's not necessarily that they heard a story that was passed down more so that they were just eyewitnesses, but I don't want to spoil the uh, the fun that's mm. coming later. Yeah. All right, so the third theory we're going to go over is the document theory. And this theory is sim similar to the document theory used for the Pentateuch, which you can hear in our intro to Old Testament episode. They state that there were a few sources used to write the synoptics. They usually state that, one, Mark was the first written gospel, since 93% of Mark is found in Matthew and Luke. Two, another document named Q abbreviated for German word quell, which means source. They believe that this other document, Q, made up other verses that are found in both Matthew and Luke, but not Mark. And finally, three, they believe that Matthew had an additional source that gave him content that was different from Luke's, and Luke had an additional source that gave him content that was different from Matthew's. So that was kind of a lot, but basically, I say all that to say that people believe that Matthew and Luke had multiple sources, and one of those sources was Mark, and that was actually the main source for their Gospels. Um, a couple objections uh, objections to this is that this can't account for the unique parts of Mark that are not in Matthew or Luke. So they say that Matthew and Luke copied Mark, um, but that doesn't account for the differences that are in Mark that aren't in Matthew or Luke. Another objection 
is that Mark was written in 68 AD. If Matthew and Luke were written after Mark, then surely they would have mentioned the destruction of the temple in 70 AD as it related to Jesus' prophecies. They would have mentioned Peter's death as well, which happened right around 68 AD. And so you would expect if these Gospels were written after Mark, which we know was written in 68, that they would mention these enormous events that happened in the history of the church. Mm-hmm. And lastly, if this quote-unquote Q document existed and was held in such high esteem that Matthew and Luke used it to pen their Gospels, why didn't the rest of the church hold it in esteem enough to preserve it or even mention it? So it's not mentioned by any of the early church fathers or historians, um, and it was not preserved. And and that's that's important to note that the early church preserved so well, and that's why our New Testament is so reliable. Uh, and we're going to go over that with Dr. Gary Habermas. Okay, the last theory we're going to talk about when it comes to the synoptic problem is the form critical theory. And this assumes that the that the document theory is generally correct, which is the last one we talked about, but they don't limit Matthew or Luke to three sources. They say that there were in fact an unknown amount of sources and that all these sources were documents called forms. They also typically take this a step further and say that the story is not necessarily about the facts of what happened, but are more about what the early church was trying to communicate by using mythological stories. Uh, and so a couple objections to that is that while this view may satisfactorily tell us why we have the books that we have, it doesn't account for the formation of the church. If there was some sort of hidden meaning behind these myths, the church would have never formed to worship Jesus. And also this overlooks the impact that the life and death of Jesus has had on the world. Um, so this is like your Tom Harper's, even your Bart Ehrman's, I believe that are the critical, um, scholars that oppose the histor the historicity of the Bible and say it's kind of mythological and just general generally good stories that we should base our life on. Um, but that really discounts the historicity of it and the impact that it had on the world. Those are the four theories that I really wanted to go over um, that I'm not sure are the best descriptions of what actually happened here. And I think, Nick, you can go over the theory of what we're going to go with here on Bible Dingers. So there's a better theory here. There are plenty of reasons of why the synoptic Gospels are and should be similar. First of all, these were all sourced from disciples of Jesus Christ who were actual eyewitnesses of his life. Matthew was a disciple. Mark wrote down Peter's account. Luke learned from interviewing eyewitnesses, disciples, and Paul. Secondly, oral traditions were definitely involved. Acts 20 verse 35 records a saying of Jesus that isn't written in any of the Gospels. That proves that people spoke about the things Jesus said and did. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10, Paul wrote a quotation from Jesus. But 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels. People knew the stories and the quotes. Thirdly, there were Indeed, written documents that told the story. Luke acknowledges this in the first four verses of his book. So it's nothing new. It's not new information. It's something that he's giving us already. And lastly, we believe that there was divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit behind the writing of these books. In John chapter 14, verse 26, 
Jesus tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit would teach them all things and remind them and remind them of all Jesus had told them. No doubt the Holy Spirit got the message across through these books that he desired to get out. Occur. Yeah. Now we're finally at the last section of this outline. And it's the practical section, how to read and apply the New Testament. But we're going to keep it short and sweet. Since this episode is getting really heavy and it's filled with information, we're going to try to get through this pretty quickly. First, we have the Gospels. And that is a mix of both historical, narrative, and prescriptive teaching. Next, we have Acts, which is mostly historical narrative. Although there are lessons that can be certainly learned from it, it's mainly historical narrative. Now we have the Epistles the most prescriptive teaching-filled section of the entire Bible. And although it needs to be read within its context, and we do need to learn about who it was written to and why it was written and the general purpose, it's the most applicable section of the Bible for sure. And then we have everyone's favorite um, book of the Bible, or the most complicated, probably, (laughs) book of the Bible besides Daniel and uh, Ezekiel. Um, we have Revelation, mostly ap- apocalyptic with a section of prescriptive teaching, but most of Revelation is prophecy. However, there are um, portions of this book that are the letters to the churches, which are like the epistles. Uh, but you have to know the difference between historical narrative and prescriptive teaching. This is also known as descriptive and prescriptive. Much of the Gospels and almost all of Acts is descriptive. This means, although we can definitely learn from it, it doesn't necessarily directly tell us how we ought to live. It is telling us what happened, though. This is similar to how we should be reading most of the Old Testament. It's telling us what happened in the context that it was in, and we're learning the stories. Yeah, so if somebody did something, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should or do it, you know, or or can do it or whatever. It's just saying that, hey, this is what happened. Yeah, you know making I mean? yourself a part of the story is eisegesis. It's putting yourself in the story, making yourself the characters of the Bible, and that's not the general goal behind reading these stories. It's just about learning the history and understanding the context. That's it. But there is parts of the there are parts of the Bible that are supposedly supposed to be read in a way that applies to you. And like we said, some of those are the epistles and uh, the parts that we mentioned before. Um, but the, the epistles are very prescriptive. Although we need to know the situations with the recipient of the letter, the historical context, the, purple, the purpose the writer had. I said the purple. The purpose the writer had, and so on and so forth. These are much easier to directly apply to our lives. This is why these books are so often preached by pastors, because they're easy. And that's the truth. Oh, that's the dang truth. That's Mm -hmm. the truth. That's it. I think everybody's favorite book of the Bible is probably Romans to go to if you're a pastor. That's definitely a go-to. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it is very Galatians, important. Galatians, Ephesians, yeah. Philippians, Colossians. All of them. They're all, yeah. All of them. <laughs> if yeah. there's a, if there's a sermon series, that's what it's... I don't blame them. <laughs> I don't blame them. I, it, yeah. When I get my church, I'm probably going to start at Romans. But it's also <gasps> foundational, too. Yeah. There are some foundational things that you can't escape Romans. You have yeah. to go to it first. I know, did... So. Um, I was able to pick a couple sermon series when I was uh, over at youth group. And I went through James first, which is an epistle. Then I went through 1 Corinthians, which was an epistle. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and do something different. And I tried to do a sermon series through Judges. And it was so difficult, man. It was really hard to Imagine do. day one being a pastor. You're like, all right, we're going to break up a series of Haggai. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is difficult. and There's no getting yeah. around it. If you're in Old Testament, you kind of have to start... Uh, you know, earlier, so it makes it complicated because yeah. if you don't start from Genesis or pick chronologically or topical or whatever, it's going to be hard not to start at the New yeah, Testament. Yeah, spend a lot of time setting up the context. And yeah, stuff like and you that. could always go back. Like if you start at the New Testament, the good thing is you could always teach on the things of the Old Testament. But to start at the Old Testament, you're always looking forward anyway. So yeah, right. It's interesting. Anyway, that was the survey of the New Testament for you guys. That's it. I hope it was helpful. Definitely filled with a bunch of information, but this sets the foundation for us heading into the Gospels, and I can't wait for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we are out of the old. We're into the new. We're excited. We got some good interviews. We yeah. already had a couple this season. We got some more good ones coming up for you guys. Yeah, I'm excited about uh, this season. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be our best season yet. I mean, we've never had so many interviews, and I think we're getting better at this as the year goes on. Seems like the interviews just keep being more high profile. Yeah. 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 Soon, we're going to be going for the big guns. The big guns? Yeah. I'm going to write John MacArthur a letter. The Johnny Max? You're going to write him a letter? I'm going to write him a letter. (laughs) Why not just email him? No, you know what's cool? Um, Like, you know, I I gave like, I don't know, two bucks or something to, to Grace to You at one point to get a book or whatever. Yeah, and like I had donated money to the ministry. He just he wrote a an end of the year thank you note, and you can actually apply to get a copy of his handwritten notes for his most recent sermon. Oh yeah, and you actually get his handwriting. That's pretty and cool. So I'm gonna do it. It's it's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I thought it was cool too. Just to have, you know. Yeah. I don't know if I'll frame it. I mean, it's a copy, but it's so cool to have, you know, just to see cool. how he structures his sermons. Yeah, right. Because we're, we're so used to the high tech of his website. You know, he has a genius team. You yeah. can click on any word and you get the audio. Right. You know, but it's just cool to see the original notes. Yep. Yeah. That is really cool. Anyway, you know, we do put a lot of work into this ministry and we don't want to be a ministry that constantly asks for money and all that stuff. So it's not about that, but we would definitely appreciate if you became a patron for us, uh, we we give what you give. So we definitely pour into you guys. Uh, we want you a part of our lives. We want to get to know you. We want you a part of our family. We have a group chat. And uh, you could ask anybody on there. We just don't take from you and just leave you there. No, we, we make you a part of the family. We almost talk daily. Um, hopefully one day we'll have uh, video Bible studies or something like that. You know what I mean? But we care about you. We want to know about your prayer requests. And we care about you even if you don't become a patron. Uh, If you have any prayer requests, Bible questions, or anything like that, we want to know because we want to be there for you and we want to learn together. But if if you do find it in your heart 
to be a patron. The link is in our bio on Instagram. You could also find information on our website. And uh, we would really encourage you to be please be a part of that for as low as a dollar a month. Do um, you know what our website is? Bibledingers.com. Bibledingers.com. That's it. Oh, you had that lined up. I did. You had that lined up. So what was that? Where did I come from? Bible. Bibledingers.com. It was Google. Yeah, I, oh. had a, I had a meeting with Google about just like optimizing our website and stuff like that. And he left me a voicemail. And so I was like, Mark, you got to pull this. Let Bible, me hear it again. This Bible Dingers. Bibledingers.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. He's like halfway through, he's like, what am I saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, you know our website, but if you're on social media, you can find us at Bible Dingers across the, across the board, across the street, <laughs> across the street. Go to your neighbor's house. Street, get on their go computer. Go to Dingers dot com. dot com. Oh man! But you could go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you could find us at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there. Just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Make sure you hit like. Make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you hit follow. And most importantly, ding on. (laughs) Bro, you couldn't just select any song? (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) I double hit it. Come on, bro. (laughs) You could, like, you had had 900 songs. You couldn't just. (laughs) I wasn't ready to. Heaven up above, show me all your love. Been out so long.